It's gonna. It's a lucky number. Lucky number twenty-four. Is that your lucky number? No, but it's somebody's. It. That's very. That's very philosophical. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Twenty-four. If we reverse it, and that's forty-two, like forty-two coin, which is a legendary uh, cryptocurrency coin. Or two plus four is like six. Motherfucker, say what? Illuminati. Illuminati. Yeah. That's the kind of. That's how we roll here. Speaking of Illuminati, we have a. Uh, guest on today coin artist that's my segue <laughs> hope she likes it <laughs> who would not want to be associated somehow with illuminati that's that would be a bigger question i don't know she does some illuminati puzzles that take she three does. years to uh, solve yeah and then another one's out conspiracy in that <laughs> unless you're the one who wins then it's skills yeah, so uh, we're going to talk to her about that. She uh, she tweeted out recently that she got, I think, she said that she had like a million dollar offer for that uh, recent puzzle that took three years for five Bitcoins to get solved. And it got solved during the height of the mania, I think uh, in the spring or late, early or late winter this year. Yep. And so it's the original. So it was originally $1,400 worth of Bitcoin or something like that that got put in there. Four point something seven nine Bitcoin or something like that, and it took three years, got solved, and um, somebody was very happy. It was an anonymous winner, I think. So. Talked to her about that, so I guess um, if that happened, that would probably be the highest. Well, that'd be the highest art piece sold if it was that million dollars, because I would put that higher than the Rose by Kevin Abosh because. <laughs> Because that's well, not worth a million dollars in Ethereum anymore. <laughs> I just well, think it's, it's more, it's it's more artistic and historical, in my opinion, her piece. Because somebody's buying it for because of what it is versus yeah. a charity where you're, you know, basically. It was 10 businesses buying that rose. And they all got that deduction. Sponsor. Yeah. So this. No disrespect. That's just what it, my opinion of it is. Yeah. No, it's kind of cool. I mean, her, her pieces of. It's part of history. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, before we get into this lovely interview with uh, Coin Artist, and we're excited to have Coin Artist, by the way. We've been talking oh, yeah. about having her for uh, at least 
since we're in a single digit episode. The Neon District is, is very cool. I'd recommend, well, I can't recommend anything, but if I were to recommend, I'd recommend that you check out Neon District. And they did Pineapple Arcade too, right? Um, yeah. yeah. Something like that. I remember them being in the news for that. Um, speaking of news, God, we're on a segue roll here. These are in no particular order. It's more around what I found. Um, there was something that I just saw. The, 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 the World Crypto Con. We were talking about cons last time. This is not that kind of con, but uh, fall 2018. It's going to be held in Vegas at the Aria Hotel from October 23rd to November 2nd. Um, it's described on their website as global stage for industry leaders to share their projects and technologies with thousands of investors, experts, developers, businesses, and attendees who are using blockchain and cryptocurrency to redefine our everyday lives. That's the plug. Uh, there'll be a hackathon, e-racing, which is kind of cool. Oh, uh, hold on, is this the one in uh, end of October? Yeah. yeah uh, racetra- racetrack and flight simulator competition. Something called the Token Tank and Blockchain Poker. They're celebrating the 10-year anniversary for the release of the Satoshi White Paper. Uh, they have a live gallery experience with crypto artist and filmmaker Visa or Vesa. You last episode didn't you say that we should have a Comic Con of some or a I really crypto want, con yeah. of some sort? Now we're ha- you're, you're you're putting the news out that we have one. Uh, no, this is not that kind of con. They're just right. for they're just using it as convention. All right. All right. So no, as far as I know, nobody's getting dressed up. So as nobody's wearing nobody's wearing a vital like furry. No, but apparently they do that kind of thing at the Doge Con. <laughs> yeah, the and one I just found that out because uh, Rob posted a po- had a poster yeah. on his Instagram. I was like, "You're kidding me! They, People get dressed up." Have, it would. It seems like it's pretty awesome, and I and I mentioned that I'd be willing to go there just for the posters because the posters are pretty cool. Uh, number two. August 31st, 2018, there was an article called CryptoKitties to Bring Blockchain to Life in a New Art Exhibit. It's an article by Jonathan Kim. On September 1st, there an opening of a new exhibit called Bringing Blockchain to Life at the 2KM Center for Art and Media in Karlsruhe, Germany. And I happen to know kind of where that is because I think it's outside of Heidelberg. Uh, we'll be using Mural as the display hardware and they'll be showing Crypto Kitty images. Mm. Cue Kitty sound. <laughs> uh, next, number three, on August 23rd, 2018, there was a uh, release put out by Singular DTV. They talked about their multimedia happenings. Uh, they mentioned, in addition to their Our Music Festival, which AOTB discussed during an interview with Justin Blau. Uh, Singular DTV's documentary Trust Machine, directed by Alex Winter, is in the works. According to the Medium article, Trust Machine will premiere on October 26th at Cinema Village, New York, and on November 16th at Nifty, 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 Nifty. Monica, Los Angeles, before hitting the Singular TV, DTV digital distribution platform next year. Cool. It's kind of cool. And I saw some of the the clips. It looks very, very interesting. Alex Winter, uh, best known for his role in uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, opposite Keanu Reeves. No way. This way. 
and also Alex Winter, who made the Silk Road documentary uh, uh. with uh, Russ Albright. And it goes a little something like this. this, 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 this. Number four, um, August 10th, 2018, article, Welcome to the Weirdly Wonderful World of Crypto Art by David Canellis. Um, the, the article is not that, doesn't have anything brand new in it, but I think it's a great reference article to look at the range of blockchain and crypto endeavors from jewelry to Vitalik bobbleheads. That was just kind of a cool thing to see, you know, all these different kind of uh, art pieces that are being generated. For those of you familiar with what we do here, none of this will be brand new while the bobblehead was something I hadn't seen before. So, I have a Satoshi bobblehead in my house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you could be part of this. Um News to me, this is uh, number five. On June 21st, 2018, there's an article, um, Acon to build new city in Senegal with own cryptocurrency called Acoin. Did you know about this? A- Acon? Yeah, the rapper. Uh, uh, no, I didn't know. I had This rapper, who is of Senegalese descent, plans to create a city with cryptocurrency. Uh, from the article, it, uh, the quote is, he says that the system of cryptocurrency, quote, allows the people to utilize it in ways where they can advance themselves and not allow government to do those things that are keeping them down. Unquote. Uh, will, be built, will be built on 2,000 acres of land that have been given to Akon by the government. So that... Yo, Akon, you're futuristic, bro. Yeah, that was yeah. that was pretty cool. I was just having a conversation Cop about that a coin. Yeah, how do I get some a coin, Acon? You know, we gotta ask, gotta ask. Asking, and maybe yeah. you have to be, you have to move to Senegal, though. Maybe. Yeah. True. yeah. Um, some of our news still, Uh-oh. as far as we air horn. <laughs> the collaboration with Washington Lawyers for the Arts, three-part course starting next Monday. So hopefully. September seventeenth. Uh, September seventeenth. Um, are we doing our announcement on the? Yeah, you want to uh, announce it? You want to hit the drum roll real quick? Okay. <laughs> we will be on the radio FM dial, WERA ninety six point seven. It's Arlington Independent Media starting late September. We've. What are we going to be on? What are we doing? We are going to do an introduction to cryptocurrency, blockchain for artists, and, and what's it called? It's called AOTB in the DMV. And the DMV is D.C., Maryland, and Virginia for our out-of-state and out-of-country folks. Yeah. We, and since this is a community radio station, we had to kind of gear it toward uh, the audience within the listening area. What, is, what did they say? 27 watts? Uh, yeah, something like that. So it a, gets a decent coverage in our area. Yeah. Um, and it'll be on the website, it'll be on the Mixed Cloud on WERA's page. But it's fun. We got an FM station now putting out blockchain to our area. 
So here we are. Uh, we're going to give you all the good. So we'll have a, even more interviews. This is only a half hour show we're doing uh, twice a month on Sundays at 5 p.m. So it's going to be, um, live. be a live show. Yep. We'll do it live. Okay. We'll do it live. Fuck it. Do it live. I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live. It'll be interesting to see how this works, but at least we'll open up some more slots for guests. We have a lot of people to, to talk to. Um, I feel like we need our calendar is going to be filled up pretty quick on that. Um, in addition to our uh, radio program that will start September 30th, by the way, right. um, they, we have uh, an A3C event on October 5th in Atlanta where um, I'm going to be talking to members or people that attend that uh, conference um, down there. So check that out, A3C. A3C. A3Cfestival.com That's all three coasts uh, Festival Are you, um, Do you have a particular day? Yeah, October 5th, Friday uh, In the like 2 to 5 area Pretty much I'm doing a, a chat with the E-Music guys um, And Fancoin In addition to all your top 5 news I want to put a couple things out there too There's a bunch of stuff going on That's just popped in my head I'm writing them down as you're talking but there's a tune event in New York, October 2nd and 3rd, um, by a guy named Deuce and Matt Hall speaking there. We interviewed Matt on episode 19. Uh, they're doing like a live recording and then putting it out through the tune network. So if you're in the New York area or anything, check that out. Um, Didn't they do a hip hop? I saw something on uh, Instagram about their uh, hip hop uh, playlist. Uh, I think they it was have yesterday. a bunch of playlists, yeah. Okay. Um, also, uh, when I was driving up here on Sway in the Morning, they had a uh, Susie Orman. Is that her name? Mm-hmm. Susie Orman, fi- the financial uh, woman mm-hmm. chick. She only make, she only helps women in finance. Oh, she has a book called. Not at all. She has a book called Women in, in Finance. All right, I'm triggered right now. All right. Oh man, She's not have helping you watched out the men. her? No, I'm, I'm well, just the- I'm just totally <laughs> fucking around. But her book is definitely called. Either women in finance or women in well, finance. She has like women. probably a, more than a dozen books. All right, well, she better have one for the memes too, right? <laughs> Everybody's inclusive in this world. But uh, no, joking around. Um, so I, uh, she was t- somebody was asking her about cryptocurrencies and stuff on the way up here, and uh, she does not own any. But uh, she said that uh, she thinks that crypto is the future of uh, finances. So she said, you know, if you do have some extra money, it wouldn't. Be a terrible idea. So I'm just relaying what Susie Orman told you, ladies out there. You know, she's pretty pretty conservative. I mean, she never gives advice that is particularly, you know, it's not risky. She's trying to conserve, mm-hmm. have people conserve whatever money they earn. So yeah, I've I've listened to her off and on over the years. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. You know, talking on Sway in the morning, there was a lot of there's a lot of questions about cryptocurrency that from the listeners and stuff. So I thought that was just interesting uh, coming up listening to that. Um, uh, yeah. So that's the news. Uh, we gotta hit up a point artist and talk to her. Yep. All right. All right. So uh, we have the legendary coin artist with us today. Very excited about this. Yes. Um, we've been talking about getting. Uh, Miss Coin Artist. It's uh, Marguerite. How do you say your last name? De Corcel. De Corcel. Marguerite De Corcel. What is? <laughs> is that French? Or? It, well, it, it is, but it's just 
so happens that um, I married someone with a French last name, and I had a very French first name, so now I'm, like, super French. <laughs> <laughs> Have you been to France? I'm not. I'm actually going there in on the 21st okay. for the um, the blockchain gaming conference. Oh, cool. For the first time. Yeah, and I get... And I'm, I'm doing art show over there, too, for, actually. Um... Um, coincided really nicely with the dates nice. so yeah but the, the coordinator of the event was like you have to speak French with your name and I'm like no I don't though really <laughs> <laughs> what, what is the blockchain gaming conference what is that it's um so it's just a big event like a normal one of the blockchain conferences um but now it's more niche and more focused on just the gaming space of blockchain the crossover between blockchain and games um it's actually really fun. So if you're like we were just talking about, if you're kind of like me and a little sick of the ICO blockchain conferences, blockchain game com- game conferences are pretty fun because there's a lot of creatives and mm-hmm. people on the ground floor um, starting to play with the tech in, in a very artistic way, right? So like uh, a lot of the artists that have been, and creatives that have been playing with blockchain and what can we do with this? Um, now that's becoming more product focused. And so that sort of blockchain game conference uh, circuits that you're seeing pop up are groups of people like that. So um, it's interesting because people are doing all kinds of creative work. Indeed. Where in France? Uh, Lyon, and then uh, the art conference is in Paris. Okay. So that's one of the things I, w- I wanted to talk to you about was um, you've been in the space and Bitcoin space for a while. Um, I know at least since 2013, maybe pre that or that around the time you got in. Yeah. 2013. Um, I think we started talking, just like every a lot of us started hearing about it in 2011, two, two, but no one took it seriously really till 2012. Well, no, there were people that did, but I'd say the vast majority of the early adopters in like crypto Twitter, that the people you think of with crypto Twitter came in around 2012, 2013. Was it the um, article on uh, Silk Road and, and stuff like that, or? What got you? There was a to see there was a bit of that uh, for me. Uh, I came in from friends that were heavy into um, actually information warfare oh, and oh computer God. science. Um, I might have a lot of military in my family, okay, and uh, and computer science in my family, and and so it came up with family discussions, just talking about it. There were holidays early on where someone was running off to buy some from uh, you know Charlie Shrem startup. Uh, back in the day, you know, with the first Mount Gox and doing a month. I remember they were doing a, a wire transfer. And I was like, what are you doing? You can't go just go wire someone money <laughs> for this. What is this thing you're doing? And this is before yeah. I understood mining. Uh, so soon after that, I got into mining. And mining is what got me really interested with just because with being surrounded by people, I'm excited about computer science. I started thinking about what a distributed network you know, you, know, you, know, you, know, you know the power of that. I had never really thought about that before. Were you were you into were you one of the people? I mean, I I would definitely categorize myself as this, and most people I see in the space when you first get in, blockchain saves the world, and then you slowly realize that <laughs> there's specific things that you can use. Or what the fuck are you talking about, man? Um, I was excited. I think immediately for the idea, the Ready Player One ideas. Mm-hmm. Not so much. The blockchain saves the world. world. That's much as, um, <laughs> like the things we can actually do. I was immediately thinking of it as a digital, like gaming currency, yeah. was the first thing I thought of. Um, it made sense because you already ha- that's already something that happens. There's just virtual economies that exist everywhere. 
uh, and thinking about moving that around from different games. So you were uh, were you a gamer coming into blockchain? Yeah, so I was a, a gamer. I, I grew up with a. I was really close to my brother, mm-hmm. so he would a lot of. And I was always the artist. He was an artist, but he he would game a lot, and I would game with him. But sometimes he would do these long gaming stretches, and meanwhile I would be drawing in the background and watching him play. You know, days before Twitch streaming. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as I got older, we did fun games together, like. Um, but then he went off to school and whatnot. But so he ended up becoming a game developer for Electronic Arts. Okay, cool. And yeah, and I just went down the art path. Um, but then, our, you know, we kind of crossed paths again. And he um, and he was really into the Bitcoin space too. And so my first puzzle I ever made, actually, he was a contributor to that. Oh, um, sweet. Yeah, so we set up the, I don't know if you know much about it, but we set up a Minecraft server and designed all these quests within the Minecraft space. Oh, that's cool. And yeah, it was like a big onion of, yeah. of um, challenges. Mm. And if you got through the, it was sort of like Ready Player One, where if you got through the first gate, solved it, uh, there'd be somewhat of a prize, then it would unlock your access to get to the second gate, the second gate. And then there's all different types of challenges on different mediums all over the internet. So it's like a it's so, like a blockchain sca- or, or or even a Bitcoin scavenger hunt. It was yeah. So there was a lot of virtual aspects to that, and then like with the one flaming piece, um, one of those virtual onions like that ended up concluding with a physical art piece with the actual private key encoded into it. Um, so how do you come up with the um, like on a basic level for layman for people that don't understand uh, crypto that well? Is or is it even geared to that? Like a crypto puzzle, you 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 make a crypto puzzle, and it's to in case anybody is you know listening that doesn't know who Coin Artist is, you first were became well known because of your crypto puzzles, I believe, and your art. Um, and you kind of combine the crypto puzzles with the art, correct? Right. So, yeah. How does that? Can you give us like a little bit of uh, how that process? goes about how you create that well it's not that much of a stretch if you think about how data and like visual data uh if you think about steganography if you are you familiar with steganography at all i'm i'm not so um so for example just the idea of a qr code right it's an image but it's also a data matrix so it, it has information encoded in it that you know while it is an image it has other like meaningful information that takes okay. you somewhere um, that you have a reader that can decode it for you. But if you knew how to decode it yourself, you could probably you know pull out that information. Um, so basically, you just take that same idea, but you create then patterns or systems in which to encode information so that it creates an image. And you can design it so it maybe is a meaningful image visually. Um or it's an image then that's hiding and concealing the secrets that if decoded properly and you can have clues embedded in the image about how to decode it. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's, it's the idea that, for example, a private string, or sorry, a private key is just a string of, of characters. And those characters, um, it's just, it's just, it's just, it comes down to zeros and ones. You know, pretty much everything can be broken down to zero ones. So you can make a pattern out of anything. 
So which comes first? So it's like a chicken and the egg, like the art or the uh, or the code, the private key behind the art. And you have to build. Did it build the art around the private key, or can you make the art and then put the private key into the art? Um, so it's, it goes back and forth. Mm-hmm. So it depends if what I'm trying to communicate. If I've picked a theme, for example, um, like right now I have a, a puzzle that's going on uh, with Neon District. It's called. Uh, if you were to go to neondistrict.io slash helpdesk, it would take you to a, an AI. Um, it's an AI that you interact with. And and there's enough information there that you can kind of figure out what to do. But it's a, it's a because of that experience, I've taken into account that experience is how people would go through thinking about gathering the information and what that journey would be like. Um, so the art there that's present and the information there that's present has all been designed around supporting that experience. Um, and then the next steps and the natural progression of how you would think about putting the pieces together has been designed around that experience. So it kind of depends on what we're trying to create for our users. Um, so do, I, I, went they, to, I went to that. Do you just enter your question on the command line when you... You're just talking. Yeah, you're just okay. talking and then you're gathering for the pieces. So you'll notice on the display uh the loading the beginning part it's it'll have something that says you know looking for uh five errors needed right um so you'll know when you get an error code it, it'll be really obvious to you so you're engaging with the the uh, ai bot and when you get the one they're pretty easy to stumble across at least one when right. you get that you'll realize the process and then you'll know how to get all five and when you get all five you should kind of understand what the other information that you're given along the way about maybe steps you could take to unriddle it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's supposed to be fun and exciting and, the, and the, the story and experience of collaborating with others and hearing about their experiences. It's supposed to create a, a collaborative environment, cooperative environment, um, where I, don't, I guess it makes us excited about the tech. It takes away, or it takes, it's not so much about how much money can I make on this or, you know, what's the token. And while there is tokens and other games have contributed to this particular prize pool, um, it's, but they're, the prizes that are like non-fungible tokens. So now that we're in the gaming space and with art, as you know, with being non-fungible tokens, um, we can do a lot more fun things with these puzzles now. So the prizes does not just have to be a fungible token. It can be something that you get that has utility, like real, not just utility for some some DAP, but utility in a way of I can go play this with this item in a game, in multiple games. I could go craft with this thing. If this is a digital art piece made by an artist, that's rare. Um, this is, you, you know what I mean? Like it, it just gets more exciting. The prizes are more exciting because uh, it's ownership of cool things that you won as opposed to just some S you could have bought online, I guess blockchain what it seems like is independent gamers and niche real niche gamers right now anyway can uh collaborate cross-platform um to make i can make a skin that's playable in your game that unlocks something on rare art labs or something or you like that's kind of the use like where where neon district can kind of uh collaborate with other people um 
maybe that don't have as big a role. Uh, like, like you're not gonna your 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 thing isn't on Steam. Like you can't do this on Steam, right? No, you can. You will be able to. No, you no, will, you will. Uh, okay, so, but, so Neon District right. is gonna be on Steam. Yeah. Okay. Neon District will be on Steam and and will be mobile. So it will be cross compatible with um, iOS and Google Play. So then, so then um, people will be able to, uh, like myself, I'll be able to create something and then put it in a market and then hopefully utility, I can add utility as the token right. lives on, right? So what we could do is, um, so we've made a real point to not have an ICO and not have a fungible token that would jeopardize our ability to be on these major platforms like this. Be So it's very clear that any... Transact sell like we sell anything. Apple will get their normal thirty percent cut from the mobile store, right? We're not going to compromise that. Our goal is to get users with wallets and playing with uh, blockchain, and not really know they're doing it either until later. But you're right. So once you um, are interacting with the game, it's fun. You've entered it. What seems like it's it's pretty much designed to be a free to play game, but then it'll have a bunch of expansive side areas that you can explore as well. Yeah. That would be something we would monetize but, but but just the onboarding process you could do for free and you can create value um basically you get everybody starts out in the same spot base materials based characters mm-hmm. and then you derive value through your gameplay um as your items evolve through your experiences the outcomes you could eventually end up with something um that you can take to market and trade for your first crypto mm-hmm. right. so but you're right in that we can expand upon that and make it more platform-based in a sense that we could have a third-party art market and developer market. So um, as an artist, we would ha- set up guidelines for submissions. So since we're, we did focus on being a 2D art game mm-hmm. um, for that reason, so that uh, someone could follow our guidelines and create a skin or a, an, a weapon, and it will act like a skin, right? It's not going to come with... Um, levels mm-hmm. but it would be the skin to attach to some item and then you could sell that though that'd be it's completely unique because it's skin and you could issue yeah. how many you're like, selling and I, I look at how much money like my son if like if my son could get access to my credit card he would spend thousands of dollars a day on Fortnite skins and dances and stuff and that's not going to anybody but the creators of Fortnite, right right well and they could change that there's been games in the past that have explored i think having third party art markets um my my lead artist was telling me about it Mm -hmm. but but not in this way in this way where the art because we want to explore where the art actually owns that asset Mm -hmm. or the artist is the producer and and that they and like what if we didn't take a cut what would that look like and can we survive and by not monetizing or maybe it's a very small fee like a two percent or something but yeah, I'm really excited about that because I've thought about how hard it was as an artist to get your art out there and sold. So if you had the utility backing your art yeah. for someone to go play with it as well, I think that'd be really great for artists. Uh, it it makes the the know. token valuable to di- in different ways. Like if, if you're in Japan and you need the art, you need that token to unlock some monster in some game, but you don't even know it's an art piece that in a game that's viewable in some VR gallery that also is a skin in Neon District or something. Like, the token can represent different values across many different platforms. You might not even know about it. 
Yeah, I um, was just talking yesterday with VTech from Engine. I don't know if you're familiar with the standards right now that are happening, um, but yeah, some of them, yeah. He really contributed to has re- authoring the 1155 standard. Um, and we've been working with that, and we're planning on turning around here in a little bit and helping with the standard, but um, because it's it's not solidified yet, right? It's still evolving. Um, what do these games need? All these games that you're just talking about, so that we can have an asset in Neon District and go to our like our partners game, Age of Rust, yeah, and make sure that our crafting systems are compatible and that our tokens are compatible and that we're mapping the right data and we're designing the games in a way that it's going to be the best experience to move items across and that you could have a sword, for example, or gun or whatever item that is working in a specific way across all games that these partners want to collaborate and work with. I mean, it's massive collaboration in a way that I think game developers probably haven't ever had to do before. Um, yeah, that's the cool thing that blockchain brings, I think. Especially for folks like y'all with your startup indie games where you you look at y'all are talking to other indie gamers to see how you can make this economy, this ecosystem flourish. Yeah. Um, the the fun part here with my background with all the puzzles I've done, me I, I have people asking for help designing the, the questing, right? The multiverse questing. And how uh, do we take basically what I've done with that guerrilla marketing, the viral marketing that gets people really excited and then, but use it now in a much bigger way with the games, which is kind of what was my original vision, right? Coming, starting on these whole ideas. But, but then I, we're on this indie game space, like you said, it's pretty niche, but it feels like we made a lot of ground in the past four years. Um, now that this gaming industry is actually budding and where are we going to be in the next four years? Do we start uh, leaking into mainstream spaces? Do we get real traction? And um, yeah, do we start having a Ready Player One type experience with our gaming? So. That, that was one thing I've been thinking about a lot is this creating the standards so that it is are able to have the crap cross-platform elements to, especially with, with games, if that's going to be where the tokens are are going so do you collaborate with regard to creating these standards uh do people just come together and do that do you just have conversations or is there you know like with many more formal standards bodies uh, do you have like a formal uh, annual something where you're talking about okay we need to have some standardization on these things so that we're all writing for each other and and um, I, and what yeah. is the benefit of that because when I was thinking through this, I was like, okay, if I wanted to keep somebody in my game, would I want to create a standard that other people could use? I don't know. You know, unless it somehow or another um, embellished the user experience in my game, I'm not sure how I, if I'd want to do that. But I think that's the, the better approach is to anticipate that there's going to be, you know, cross-platform uses. But anyway, I was just wondering how you all come together and, and do that. Well, I think a lot of us are working on different solutions right now, so that's kind of caused the um, disjoint that's currently... There's a little bit of dis- disjoint right now where you have big projects. I don't know if you've heard of the of Loom Network. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the sidechain stuff. Yep, so Loom is working on sidechain solutions, and they're working with Plasma Cache. And um, 
and so they have a certain approach that they're taking and then you have big projects also like engine who's they're they're offering solutions they're trying to make like an easy onboarding for game developers so game developers don't have to spend the hundreds of thousands of dollars it costs to develop things like uh to worry about standards and whatnot but that engine state trying to put that into a nice package so your expenses as a game developer to build a blockchain game are just on the game it's got to um, get political at some point though if, the, if people see the amount of money that could be made in the gaming industry industry using blockchain then i imagine these uh i know a lot of the implementations of like erc like from 721 to people trying to push other ones like 888 and uh you know people have it is, yeah and it's getting political there was just a, a little bit of a blow up the other day like in um one of our crypto game communities and i think everybody sat back for a minute and had to reflect on was it about nfts kind of, yeah uh, was, was it about the name tech uh what was it about the name trademark nifty no 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 uh, it wasn't about that no, but that's funny. That's that's a funny point. And that's kind of, I think, the root of a lot of this is people want things to be available for collaboration. And, but then you have a lot of us, like even Neon District, we're working behind the scenes trying to problem solve for our own game. And our bandwidth is already so um, tight that we don't have the ability to step back for a second yet. I think we're going to be doing that this next month. But then looking at how can we help out with this other work that's going on to make sure that the standard is going to be good for, you know, for the design will support the entire space we want to work in. Um, so there's a little, there's a push and pull happening. Um, but I think the attitudes are, it's going to take the game developers and collaborators to just level with each other and, and figure out what we all want. And I think that the people that work together will be, you know, a bundle of six is stronger. Yeah. So, so we'll see what how, how it shakes out in the end. Um, you it, it is challenging because you have people that are investing a lot of money into tech, and so then they want to be able to protect a little bit. And um, they want to dictate some of the things, right? Well, not not just that, but like maybe they're creating something valuable that they think they could have some IP mm-hmm. and and do something with that um, because they've spent a lot of money developing it. So yeah, it, it I mean, and then you have little game developers that just want to pull off that work and then take credit for it without actually crediting the authors behind it so is there is there a is there a problem with generally when money comes in and you say like the ip will start when the money comes in and generally uh blockchain you know especially people that got in earlier you know it's more about uh cypherpunk and uh open source and stuff like that so there's a pull uh push and pull really i think going on with that community right yeah there i mean there there is just like there's i think people try to figure out how to be the i think everyone has this idea that the first person to do it and do it really well is going to create an incredibly solid brand Mm mm-hmm that people will, when they think of blockchain games, for example, they will think of this brand. Well, and everybody knows that anybody who's paid attention to Apple realizes that they waited for the PCs. I mean, there's there is an advantage of being the second, as being too. the person who's who's the person who's first. Because well, some people would say that CryptoKitties kind of hit the mainstream and uh, could do it better, and so that the second iteration of that is maybe would be the pie. 
but I think CryptoKitties, for example, really had an awesome shot, mm-hmm. an opportunity to go on and build a second product or anything really. Um, yeah. they and had, they got that. Yeah, the precursors though. They had, they had the punks. I mean, the, there were things that existed. That yeah, they, but they're the ones that got the money, and they didn't. They had, like she said, they haven't built anything. And when we interviewed Max Flavel a few episodes ago. They said they weren't really building anything. They were waiting for people to build with their products, right? So, and that's um, you see that problem a little bit with other, uh, for example, um, you know, Decentraland is a, is an awesome platform with an amazing team. Um, but the getting devs over there to build a, a hit game is going to be a challenge. And they have, I mean, I don't know where Decentraland is right now in like helping like for them to build a hit game but it's a lot like building a game is really hard why is so, there a challenge just real quick why why is there a challenge for them uh because you have to they're supporting all these developers and the platform and making sure that the tech and infrastructure mm. is working so everybody's tra- basically having to make a choice do we do you make a game or do you focus on amazing infrastructure and then think about supporting things on top of that? Mm-hmm. So um, I think with CryptoKitties, you see the same thing happening. They, they're trying to treat a CryptoKitty kind of like a platform now yeah. in that the CryptoKitty, everybody works with it and uses it because it was a successful item and it has users. So you should be interacting with it. But um, because it doesn't have that core loop, like economic value loop mm-hmm. in it, uh, it doesn't incentivize people to really be interacting with it as much I mean I think they're more they're, they've been doing well it's fun I don't know if you've ever played with the Crypto Kitty but they're really fun and they're fun to breed with and but it's on the mainnet it's expensive it's not a great user experience for a long lasting if you want to have like a game experience that you when you think of a mainstream game um, but it has the idea there so I think they they really hit on the point of uh, the vision like tapping into next, like you said the next iteration should that's why the the side chains with no transaction fees are really cool uh, there's other people are working on other solutions for that but there are things to think about like you have to have fast fast block times no transaction fees you have to make the blockchain invisible um yeah but also you have to you have to prevent bots yeah because they will destroy your economy hmm. um yeah so you have there's a lot to design and think about um thinking about where is this game played and and whatnot um so you but i would i would just just to go back i was going to say the game space has been really amazing in the sense that every even like crypto kids decentraland everybody i've I've worked with they offer us resources in which to help us be successful um i've had game designers from decentraland come over and give us um a writer and uh resources to back-end development in order to you know for our project to be successful at no cost just to support the space um i've had a lot of creative discussions with guys at crypto kitties about the fun things we can do with multiverse ideas um the guys at axie infinity we talk almost daily you, you all mean, are the, you all are in a co-op co y'all are cooperating in a cooperation you know? <laughs> yeah. i think that's healthy i think everybody yeah yeah, the early um, space. I mean, that's how that's how the industry kind of has to be right now. Until until those big money guys come in, like yeah. <laughs> hopefully, you know, that's when you know you know things are happening. Though, but. So, are you hearing from you know le- electronic arts? I mean, and I I 
watch a little more of the um, ESA, the Entertainment Software Association, uh, just to see what their you know their lobbying group and all that kind of stuff. But what what are your feelings about these large organizations? Um, I- well, I know a lot of the large organizations are looking at blockchains. They just can't move as fast. Mm-hmm. So uh, you have people like us that can really do crazy things that large organizations would never do. Um, but I do know there's there's a big um, H&H or NH, sorry, NHN in Korea. Mm-hmm. And um, I know Blizzard, the people, game veterans that are affiliated with Blizzard I or have worked with Blizzard or interested um the people are looking at it and trying to figure out what moves they want to make and what's working and what's not working i think it's an okay time for people to be looking back or you know taking a step back and seeing where they should make their move because i personally know i've spent a ton of money and probably on things i didn't have to spend money on um just because infrastructure wasn't totally ready yet um so then it was, it was a much more expensive endeavor than it probably needed to be for me. Yeah. And we could have been a lot further along if we would have just sat back and just only thought about a game design um, instead of worrying about the blockchain infrastructure side of it. Because we've been building from the ground up, thinking about how it works together, which I guess it was important. Um, but yeah, there, there's just, as, as I've gone through the process, like I'm learning why big organizations would wait a little bit sit out for a little bit to see what happens well that could really help though certainly ESA the lobbying groups could really help um, take out the concentration with this in this industry off the ICOs take off that attention well, we talk about dead. gaming ICOs are done now yeah but like I said the some of the lobbying groups like ESA could be be helpful to get you know, funnel some money in terms of, uh, you know, into or in terms of development. Yeah, but I wonder anyway. for for you, are you all planning on raising any money uh, in a Kickstarter way, uh, IPO way, or ICO way, or are you all just are you just self funded and uh, you want to sell it uh, possibly down the road if you get big? Or we just IP stuff. We or? just sold um our cl- closed it our closing a, our first a round, which is just a seed round. Okay. Um, we sold some equity. Sweet. And and we, I had been self-funding it up since from January until now, um, and and we're ready. We have enough built and enough to show that we were all really felt really good about opening a round of funding. Um, but but yeah, I, I think in the future for maybe a Kickstarter. I don't know. There's a little bit of pushback from my team about that. Um, so we'll see. I guess. I mean, we're. I think from the art space, we all have this philosophy of why pay the middleman, right? Yeah. The middleman could be valuable, yeah. though, if you if the middleman yeah, is doing right. what it's supposed to be doing, and, <laughs> doing it, it, and it saves us a lot of time. Like the, there are. That's the thing when people dog the middleman. Like it's. I, I got to take a step back. Yeah, there are some terrible middlemen out there, but the right middleman well, will make your life a lot yeah. easier. Yeah, this is some things to worth consider uh, or worth considering. I mean, I don't know. I don't know yet about how we're gonna how we're gonna roll out items. Uh, if we're gonna have pre-sale items in a way, because I don't want to take away from the a fun idea of just walking into a game and your time and and that experience and how you make choices to be the thing 
that dictates the economy. I think anytime you start doing the pre-sales, um, unless it's just purely skins, which you can do, or that's probably what we would do, right? Is just some unique skins, some rare skins that maybe Diego um, comes up with. Diego's but, an artist for uh, Neon District? Yeah, he's our lead artist. We have a few. We have Hardy Fowler, Diego, uh, Jama, Mora. He, um, our Jama was the one of the artists over uh, for the new Spider-Man that just came out. Nice. Yeah, you all have so some he, amazing artwork. In, uh, and that's, that's the first thing that attracted me to that project was was the art and I, I didn't even know what you did but <laughs> I thought the art it's like the art is just is just a phenomenal just pops at you and uh, yeah I remember when we did a top five news a yeah. while ago that was your thing you I couldn't like, I, and I had a hard time pronouncing your name <laughs> so I'm glad we have that straight she out. butchered your name <laughs> I was like should I pronounce it yeah. in a French way or should I not is this an American <laughs> yeah that's fair um, yeah I've been working with Diego since 20 20- we met in 2014. Um, we were introduced. He was the original Bitcoin cover artist back in the day, 2012, 2013. And, and then he, uh, the chief and editor at Bitcoin Magazine introduced us because we were working together on a puzzle. Uh, the Bitcoin chief had seen uh, some, one of my first puzzles and he wanted to collaborate. So we did this really big one. And th- that one is the one that ended up being the one flame and piece at the end. But... Um, Diego, he was super jaded at the time about Bitcoin because uh, he, that first phase of the markets and how that went, a lot of people didn't fare very well, right? Yeah. So he was grumpy about Bitcoin, and and but we were friends and and we stayed friends. And then in 2016, we I got him back into it, and he refused to accept crypto for a long time. But but he's over that now. But um, we we did a lot of work together, um, and we started building this this uh, world, this universe that is now Neon District. But we did it. It was an iterative process. We um, I had started working on a story in 2016, and from that, characters emerged and different themes emerged, and duality and some concepts that we really both loved, and we built designed puzzles around. But we kept revisiting a lot of those core concepts until basically we were building games. Our puzzles had gotten so interactive that they were basically games. We realized that all the work and everything we were putting into them, we needed to stop and set up a company and actually like respect this as a product, what we wanted our next phase of this. So then in October, he started his first concept pieces, characters for Neon District and um, it was really exciting because we so we've almost been working on this for a year, which is crazy to me. Yeah, I kind of remember you sending out a tweet maybe a year ago or so talking about gaming. You were asking about what type of gaming are you all seeing on the blockchain, and that you got a ton of answers. Was that kind of when you started really kicking this around? Yeah, I don't. I mean, yeah, I don't know if you were. Were you following any of the stuff I was doing with Pink Coin back back mm-hmm. then? Yeah. We, so we were doing a lot of community engagement and uh, with the Twitter bots and playing war with his his mm-hmm. pink uh, poker cards. Yeah, pink, and then pink, pink um, bot tips. Yeah, and um, and we we did an adventure game, uh, dungeon crawler, and it just it, on on Twitter, right? So Twitter's not really meant for that. So we had a lot of problems with getting the bot shadow banned and things like that because <laughs> people were engaging it so much. Um, so they were like super successful and made us think 
how, you know, okay, what is the thing we want to build? So we started thinking about metadata and tokens and CryptoKitties hadn't yet come out yet. So this is October. And I was talking with the Pinkcoin dads thinking, okay, does, can Pinkcoin have smart contracts? Can Pinkcoin do this? Can Pinkcoin do that? We came up with a whole paper about what Pinkcoin would look like having all these features that my, my wish list and in order for me to have a game, <laughs> right? And, and then um, when this happened with Ethereum, um, and the non-fungible tokens, it was just, I had to go. And it was obviously time for me to shift gears and go focus on Ethereum and that technology now. Um, so did you guys, all right, that, that's another question for, um, you're using Ethereum. Um, is Ethereum it? Is that what, that's the, that's what you're doing? Or have you guys looked at Lightning or EOS or any of this other stuff or how is, how did that come up? Like, how did you make that decision? So we're building the game in a way that we could port and use other tech. Mm -hmm. We don't have, um, we can change the backend to something else if it makes sense. But for right now, um, the complex contracts that Ethereum supports is is really what we need. Um, And it has the infrastructure though. Like it's not just that, it's also that the infrastructure is there. People are building for it. So if we wanted a way to build if we had to build the infrastructure on a different platform or a different chain, and, and you would have to make sure the users are over there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, everybody can get Ethereum. So that's one of the deciding factors. We're trying to make a mainstream product, so we have to think about how easy is it for someone to acquire Ethereum if they wanted to start off buying in the peer-to-peer marketplace, right? If they saw things there and they wanted to buy. Um, yeah. So, so in our get on mobile, you can buy items with U.S. dollars, non-fungible tokens mm-hmm. with U.S. dollars, and that's completely le- legal. Yeah. Um, so we're trying to think of that's a, how you like, got to onboard the, the noob yeah. and stuff, right? That's the thought right. process, right? Yep, exactly. Uh, yeah, whatever their local currency is, you have to be able to accept it for the tokens that they don't even need to know that they there's a blockchain backend until later. Yeah, I agree. Like onboarding them with the U.S. dollars and not knowing about blockchain is fine. And then when you get down, when you get into the game, then you can learn about the second and third iterations or tiers or levels of the game. Where then maybe you can market trade your uh, using a Dex or something. You you know swap out your skin, sell it, um, or do other things with it with the blockchain, right? That's the other thing. Like OpenSea, for example, mm-hmm. is building all these API tools for support between all the different collaborative projects so your game developer community is on ethereum right now uh there isn't another game developer community well I, I, they're, 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 that's the biggest blockchain. that's the biggest one but counterparty also has a community as well and they actually have they're, they have a wallet that, moving, like, yeah they, they have a wallet that we, we interviewed uh christian last show christian moss who has indie square and they actually have ethereum and counterparty uh, assets and games that they're putting in their wallet right now, so it's kind of interesting to see even like the cross-platform of between. Well, spells those of Genesis two. too. Yeah, of course. They, they're they're also offering other currencies. That's Indie Square. Yeah, they use the Indie Square. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, but but the thing is, like, so our tech is actually like uh, develop, developing your assets. Like the blockchain tech mm-hmm. is developing your game assets. So it's different. We're not issuing rarity. If I was just issuing tokens that were rare and then, I mean, and then you were buying them and you were buying them in any currency you want to, I mean, that's a little bit, I think, a different conversation than, for example, using the tech to drive 
the it's the vehicle of what gives you value as a player to go then trade it. So do because I, I can hear and I'm not sure whose voice is in my head, but is there is what does blockchain offer to you that you would not be able to do in a, on another platform that doesn't involve blockchain? What it, what does the tech do? What does blockchain tech do for you that you wouldn't be able to do else in another platform that's not blockchain? So it offers the ownership, right? You can own the asset. Um, you have the freedom then to go and move it onto a separate game and, and play it over there. Uh, like for example, if the, if Neon District were to close, you should you still have your your assets. Yeah. We when we shut down the game. Everything, for example, World of Warcraft shut down. You wouldn't have access to any of those, anything that you, your time that you had put into those um, characters. But that's a design. It's not that. That's how but they design. But another it. game developer can come along if World of Warcraft shut down and be like, "All right, guys, we're going to take all your expensive things or and all this stuff, all this time you put into this game, and we're going to we're going to port over here." And like, that's something you could do with blockchain because you could take all the all those assets. But if skills. World of Warcraft had designed itself in a way that could, if there was something that you could work with in World of Warcraft, let's say Second Life, if they had done that, if that had been anticipated, then it could have been designed that yeah, way. Yeah, but it's not. So that's no, no, no. That's what, but I'm, no, I'm just saying, is there something about blockchain that if, if World of Warcraft had designed themselves in a way that it could be cross-platform, is, that's my question, is there something... Special about blockchain that you would not be able to do if you designed World of Warcraft in a way that could be cross-platform. So blockchain just gives you basically, if you think of it, it's a distributed, distributed. Uh, you can have it so it's like a distributed server, right? Okay. Instead of having a closed server, you have a distributed system that. Um, so there's no one point of failure for the assets. Okay. Yeah, I was just because so, I, like I said, I so, was hearing somebody ask. Somebody's asking me that question in my yeah, head, and I. It's important to know, you know, because people ask me all the time, well, what, well, why can't you do that?" On use blockchain, and there's no solution to the problem. But video game stuff and the assets and the non-fungible tokens and everything, kind of what we're talking about today in the anyway, a lot of episodes. That gaming is like gaming and art together in a collaborative sense. You know, I think a lot of right, people it makes. It makes nearly as much sense as anything with blockchain um, right now. Well, and you also have uh, the proof of rarity problem. So, for example, um, in our game, even though we don't issue rarity, we can still prove that items are rare and that the, it has been a fair... Everything that's been created has been done so fairly. Yeah. And the blockchain verifies that. The ledger and the history provides your assets. So your battle, as your character evolves, all of that is recorded... You could do this internally on a you know on a server, right, to show it. But you can also prove this in a way that um, it's indisputable from all the other nodes that are validating the state. Yeah. You can look on a block explorer of some sort and see the things going on. Right, and and that way, if the game, let's say we had a nerf something, then that could make a lot of people angry, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> if something was too powerful. Or whatever. I mean, there's just there's just a lot that, that you're putting the user in a in a much more uh, powerful seat than they have been before. They can they can look at everything, look at all, everything the devs are doing. They can hold you accountable. They can own their own assets. They can leave your game if they're mad at you and go make a different game or play something else. Mm. 
Yeah, and then people can like I can take uh, ideally I think I would be able to if I was a creating want to create a virtual world museum, um, I could take all the assets and the artwork associated with it and make a museum, and then you know maybe a dev then could make a portal in the game where you can go into my virtual world, yep. you know stuff like yeah. that. Like and like you don't need to you don't need to build as Neon District. You have uh, tools available for people. You know, hopefully you make it even easier for the people to build stuff out because then it makes the assets right. more valuable or not well, only like, more valuable yeah. more fun to play with more you know interesting to have more utility an, an, an example of that is something we're working on is the idea of, of questing so building a side quest where a third a, a third party dev comes in develops a side quest and say they put this terrible boss monster at the end but they also have this sweet loot drop chest so as a player, you you know the risk. Let's say it's really challenging, and you know that a lot of people have failed trying to do this. But you go and you can play this quest, and the dev can be collecting assets. Like so there could be something that you you know um, put up as as a risk to, to as payment, basically, to enter this quest that goes to the dev who has put up the challenge. Yeah, and we can hold them accountable for delivering. You know, we can act as escrow for holding them accountable and delivering that item to the player. On another note, um, the um, getting back to your puzzles and stuff, um, do you do you feel like uh, Bitcoin and crypto is uh, becoming like a more legitimate way to buy and sell art? I, I not yet. I mean, do you feel that way? What's no. your what's your hesitancy? Well, no, I know. I'm just wondering. The reason I guess I asked that is because a lot of the auction houses and stuff are coming up on blockchain, and I think that's part of the narrative they're pushing is the um, provenance and chain of custody and ownership. Um, so I don't know. I, I was just wondering. As a, you're an artist, you've accepted crypto, obviously. Yeah, I think I, I, I'm realizing that the actual there's a lot of people though that don't know about bitcoin or how to use it or interact with it um and they're scared to so like if you're there and you're gonna buy something at the end of the day everybody wants to use cash write a check use their credit card for a payment um <laughs> yeah at the ethereal event when they had the auction they actually only two people paid in crypto everybody else paid with paypal yeah right and so it's and, and people hold their crypto. I mean, usually you sell your crypto at a place where you're exiting because you know that this is a top of market or there you have things you want to pay for. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's been a big, it's a very planned transaction. Um, for the most part, people just hold on to their crypto because they don't like messing with it because ac- accessing your, you know, your cold storage wallet is a big pain and you don't have, to, you know what I mean? You don't have to dig out your, your password from all, from your deposit box um it's also a place where the the middleman is useful because if something goes wrong with that transaction you can go to paypal or you can go to visa to get a remedy and you can't really do that (laughs) with if you use crypto and something doesn't work right just no well and i think that's a that's a, a hesitancy also is if you if uh, part of the terms are it's immutable, too that's, bad you don't well, get your money That's part of you, yeah, you abandoning the, the traditional systems and owning your own money. You're treating cash on the internet, basically. If you leave your wallet somewhere at a restaurant and there's cash in it and 
yeah. comes back without cash. So not everybody's it. willing to do that for, you know, a $50,000 purchase. <laughs> well, and basically, basically just because the art is so, like, if you're saying something really valuable, I've done lots of purchases with with crypto, mm. um, especially when I had it on my, like, a, a crypto debit card. Um, that was really convenient. I think that's probably the the way I, I used it the most. And that was, but that's just for smaller transactions. Um, but it doesn't, but crypto is not really meant for small small transactions in, but the larger transactions it was really comfortable leaving that much money accessible mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah yeah it's kind of in a weird place i don't know i just did like this tweet yesterday about how um i was like have you used a segwit address right and then there's this huge response that says yes um yes we have um and then i said a second tweet which it was a poll and then on the second one, a follow up, which option most resembles a Bitcoin SegWit address? Yeah. <laughs> and everybody has selected the wrong, like, they like the, one, the 1B one or something like that. Yeah, that's a legacy address. Right. Then you have a SegWit address, and then you have um, a multi um, use address. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, there's, and there's, <laughs> there's not knowledge, a lot of knowledge going on yet. So, uh, yeah. So they I'm just like the word, it's like, like Segway. <laughs> it's like. Well, Segwit's moving up. It's like 45 or 46% adoption last I've seen. This is the big companies that haven't adopted it. They probably won't. Who knows? But it's it's just, like I'm just saying, people, I don't think people are as comfortable with Bitcoin as what we think. Like, I think people would know. Yeah. If people were using Bitcoin and comfortable enough to go drop $50,000 in a painting, they would, I think, know the, these answers, especially my followers. Like, I have crypto followers. Mm-hmm. I'm a very niche you know, sort of crypto per- person. Yeah. So I thought that was a surprising um, a revelation about where we are right now with the uh, user adoption. You you also uh, sent out a tweet a couple f- a few days ago at least um, uh, saying would you accept you were it was a poll asking about accepting a million dollars for but whether um, you should yeah fear f- at the. The painting we've been talking about that took three years to solve. Was it called Ember Flames? Yeah. Or what? Sorry. So um, it has two different names. So Torched Heart with some leet speech in the mix. Um, and then One Flame and Six. Okay. Because of the, that was the beginning of the address. Okay. The public address. Um, of the encoded private key. Yeah. Can you, and, so you, can you tell us a little bit about that tweet and what, what sparked that? It was, that seemed to be. Yes. So I had, um, I had a, an interested individual that wanted to purchase it. Um, up to now, we've had some offers. Yeah. But we've always said no. So it's funny because this is this piece was made in the last bear market, like at the bottom when Bitcoin was 200, like it's a very bottom. Sure. And we weren't sure if Bitcoin was dead or not. Um, and this is when I, I met who, um, the guy who's now my husband and I started making this piece and... Um, and so he's really attached to this piece. <laughs> and he, he so that, that's he the piece it. that introduced your all's love. <laughs> <laughs> and like it's, it's encoded with secrets about that time. Oh, it's really wow. just special. And, we have and you want to so sell like, it. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, let's get it out the door. You know, because I'm like, as an artist. You're an artist. You want to get it out the <laughs> door. Yeah. Get it out the door. The hell you with the memories. Yeah, and I'm, I'm thinking, oh, I can take this money, I'll throw it into my game. And of course, yeah. he's not going to let me, he's, he's not on board with that either. He's like, no way, we've already put enough money in your game. So, so for me, I'm like, 
well, okay, I can't put the money in my game, and he doesn't want me. To, he doesn't want to let it go. So, <laughs> well, not just that. I have little boys, and he really wants to hold on to it for the family. He just thinks that um, it's a historic piece for sure. That's why somebody offered you a million dollars. Every, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, it's cool. It was a really cool experience. Who knows if they would have actually followed up with that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that would have been an interesting deal to try to close. It's a good way to start a bidding war, too. You kind of oh, give it a base stolen. price. That's the expl- explanation to your husband. I don't know what happened to it. It was on the wall. <laughs> well, once somebody's ready to write a check for a million dollars for it, or once somebody is willing to write that check, there's other people that are going to try to write a check to top that as well, probably. Maybe. I would think I, so. I mean, maybe. Um, we'll see. I'm, I'm taking it with me to France and showing it. Um, nice. Yeah, I mean... I don't know. There were a lot of people that said you should do that because you're going to establish your floor for the value of your work. Yeah, but honestly, I don't ha- have that. I don't have that many hand create like hand because I'm a traditional artist. Mm-hmm. I've made a lot of digital puzzles and digital pieces, but you can't present them or sell them the same. They don't have the same. Um, they're just not respected the same in, in the art world, right? Digital artwork isn't at least not yet. I'm a big proponent for it being as respected, but it's just not yet. And I don't have the time to make these making these physical puzzles by hand take forever. That took me because I only had nights available when I made that. That took me at least four months of just day, nights um, working on it a little bit at a time. And and I, with the, the game and everything, I just don't have time to make artwork in the same way. So it's not like I'm going to be making a bunch of traditional artwork anytime soon. Anyway. Right, so setting your floor doesn't matter as much to you because you don't have a lot of art in the cut to start popping right. off afterward. Exactly, right and now. I don't know. That, yeah, right now, and um, I don't know. I, I kind of like the free. Uh, yeah, so I don't know. I, this is a definitely an art conversation that's been happening in the in the home. <laughs> <laughs> well, we just brought it to our audience. Uh, thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, um, yeah, I, I, anyway. we're gonna we're gonna start wrapping up here in a second. But I did you did touch on it a second ago a little bit about you met your husband um, through the crypto. Um, what is it? And I've seen you with your kids. You, you're very family oriented on your Twitter feed. At least you come across like your whole family's into crypto. You, what is it like raising? I'll call it a crypto family. Well, you have to because the crypto it's, crypto doesn't sleep, right? It's twenty four seven. And I don't have I don't have the time to separate that, so I have to roll them in into what I'm doing as much as possible, um, which is tough because they they don't care about something, so you have yeah. to think about how to get them to care. But it also inspires me. It inspires me about, well, how do I get somebody to care about what I'm doing? And I should be doing things that people care about. Um, so, yeah, I guess keep staying relevant. They help me stay relevant uh, with things that might be interesting to other people, maybe non-crypto people. Do, but, you, do um, your, kid, do your te- teachers from school come in to you and say stuff like, oh, uh, whatever your kid's name, Johnny's talking about uh, Ethereum today. What's going on? Um, so actually, I just had a teacher conference uh-huh. literally four days ago, and um, the teacher was saying, you know, what do you do? And I was saying, well, I'm a game developer. And she's like, well, what kind of games? So we got a little bit into that conversation, mm-hmm. and and she's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. 
I, and you get, and that's actually most of the conversations I get into with parents, with teachers, yeah. with anybody. Most people can't even, they don't know what Bitcoin is. They don't know what blockchain is. And you have to break it down into like what things they already know for mobile games, PC games. Well, it's not even and part I, of the, I, it's not even part of the curriculum because I know even in universities, you know, so if you're not learning it as a There's like 50 teacher, universities that are teaching, now top-notch universities. But they're not so. teaching teachers to teach it. Yeah, 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 sure. My, uh, my son's uh, science teacher last year came up to me and was like, uh, yeah, Thomas uh, was talking about Bitcoin today. He drew a picture of Bitcoin and all this stuff. And uh, I was like, yeah, he, he, he's created some uh, trading cards using uh, some Bitcoin. Da-da-da. And he's like, all right. He's like, Thomas knows more about Bitcoin than any of us here. I'm like, yeah. This is already blockchain. I'm here with Cynthia, Jay Squirrel, Jordy D, B Bot, and me. I am called uh, DJ Barack Obama. I'm a big fan of him. Thank you. And uh, and uh, can you please check out my Snapchat, Pepe. And it, and I really hope you like it because it took me about like two hours to draw. And I also like this Pepe called Jason Pepe that my cousin made. And he also took a long time for him. So I guys want you to like both of them. And you are listening to Art of Blockchain. And thank you for your time with three with Thomas 3.0000001. Cut. <laughs> Beware of how you influence your children. <laughs> well, it's, I found it interesting because it's really important. Like, I found myself teaching my kids about, especially my oldest, about um, like what is money. Yeah, and exactly. what is, and that I don't care about money. Like, I don't want him to think that I care so much about crypto. Translates to I care so much about money. Or my mom is so obsessed with money, blah blah blah. Right? I have to, sh- I have to separate the things that I'm really excited and about and, and care about and why. That's a good he point. He plays enough games. He plays enough games or interacts with enough different things that um, are, you know, overlap with those areas that I can explain. So he knows. Um, he's learning really early, I guess, things about the world that he might not have been exposed to before. Well, there's, there's a huge history, you know, certainly with banking. I mean, there you could really make history interesting, I think, for children by using crypto as an example because our, well, at least in the United States, so much was based on the establishment of, uh, you know, uh, U.S. banks and the idea of currency in different uh, jurisdictions. I mean, there's, you could follow the history of the United States by talking about crypto, so. There's, um... We have a, an analogy where we have his money jar, right? It's, it's locked up. It's safe. And where the analogy is like, we're the bank. Yeah. <laughs> we've, we've got your money jar. And with Bitcoin, you would be holding your money jar. Um, but it wouldn't be safe. Right. So, <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, which one? Which one I, I mean, it could be safe if you could keep it safe. But do you feel comfortable keeping it safe or do you want us to keep it safe? For you. Think about that very carefully. <laughs> my, my my son keeps his rare Pepe's on his counterparty wallet, and he's got like some XCP in there and some Bitcoin from selling uh, one of the rare Pepe's he made. And he's always trying to access it. And I was like, Nah, bro, that's, that's your college. Phone. 
Where Pep is, are going to pay for your college. <laughs> <laughs> Don't count on me, in other words. <laughs> he get his private key when he's 18. I still well, have, I think I, I still have pennies get... from my brother from when he was a kid because he collected all of his coins. All of his coins. <laughs> I think um, you're going to see kids get more into crypto maybe accidentally through games. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be an onboarding. If you have... If people can get skins or collect neat items, uh, especially if it's for free, and you can collect, like, have trading card games where you don't have to have gas mm-hmm. uh, or anything like that, and then I think you, you'll see much more adoption, especially at that level. And then the education would flourish because now all the parents and everybody else is going to have to get up to speed with what's happening. Yeah. Definitely. So, it was just like games and Nintendo's, like, the, 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 the um, like PlayStation and all of that, kids, kids taught everybody about that technology by playing with it. Yeah. So. No, definitely you're right. Like I remember, I used to teach my mom or my grandmother how to program a VCR and do all that crazy stuff. It's always the kids learning the technology and. Yeah. So I think crypto just needs a really good use case. Right, we're not. Um, I think DApps are a little too hard right now. People would just rather do the thing that's easy. But once you have a really cool use case for something that you couldn't otherwise do, then I think that's where you see mass adoption. Yeah, and I think we're Anyways. what we're talking about here is that the video games and the gaming and blockchain, NFTs, and uh, rare rare tokens and tokens that are cross cross platform in your game. Oh, this whole ecosystem, this is like the, for me, this is the best use case outside of store of value uh, so far. Yeah. I, and you're I seeing a lot of the, not just, you know, for this year, prior to this year, it was more uh, Bitcoin related. This year, it got heavy, really heavy into Ethereum. Now I'm starting to see all the chains announce different things that they're doing some kind of art thing. And then you also have traditional ones like, you know the creative chain and art bites and some other ones that have been around longer that are, use their own chain so there's just a ton of different networks and like we say on this show a lot like you got to choose the right thing like you can't just use any blockchain to do this so you know I, well, I think you're gonna mm-hmm. yeah the creative the creative side of this um where creatives are working with programmers and well and you have creative programmers um, so on the one playman piece, I worked with a creative programmer. You probably know him, Rob Myers. Yep. Um, so we, we collaborated on that. And um, But when you get the, the technologists with the creatives, they will push really fun boundaries with what the tech can do. And then that's going to inform what, for example, like games can do. Yeah. Because ga- games are just taking that and making it into a product. Like something that it can be adopted by multiple users, whereas with the creative experiences, that can be more of a fine art experience that's packaged up as, you know, a couple like one time off things, rare experiences that you sell. But for the mass production side of it, that's where you take it and you then wrap it into a game form. Um, I, I think that there's going to be a lot of really fun things happening in that creative space. Like Rob now can actually sell his digital art pieces. Um, because of the non-fungible token side of, of this, he can say like this digital art creation he's made can now be purchased. Before he wasn't able to go to art shows and like sell his work. Right. And that that was that's huge. 
yeah. it was always made, made me sad because we'd work together and I would go sell my things, but all of his stuff lives online. <laughs> you could keep your code yeah. on the computer, Rob. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no, Rob's time has come now. <laughs> Tokenize yeah. it. Exactly. No, I, I'm really excited about that. And I think there's a lot of people like that, creative technologists that are going to, that are now are on, sitting on the precipice of something they've never had access to before. So code is art has never been a tangible. Yeah, that's, that's a um, big thing right now. Code is art stuff. I, I, I agree. Like you're able to sell it and you can codify it into a visual thing using algorithms. So there's a lot of advanced things coming out of this space that, you know, a lot of people are thinking. You, you just reminded me uh, when you were talking about Counterparty being another place where there's a lot of game developers. And I just, so in 2014, I, I worked on token controlled access with Counterparty. I had a whole series of puzzles around it. And um, when I started pushing people to the Counterparty experience of that part of the puzzle, and I tried to onboard as easy as possible. We provided the, the, um, the initial dust to get people there. It just, it was like hitting a wall. It, it, it lost 90% of my players at that point. <laughs> um, and that's that's what I'm saying with the invisible blockchain experience. I, I, the, I think Ethereum is the only one that is supporting that sort of onboarding well, that's, uh, that's, I think on the mainstream side of things for sure. But like, I, you know, I I got into the counterparty art stuff real heavy in 2016 with the rare Pepe stuff, and Joe Looney, the creator, that made a he's he made like he doesn't rely on MetaMask or something. He has his own custom wallet for rare Pepe where you don't have to rely. You know, you, you literally go to the site, you get a wallet automatically, and if I wanted to onboard you. I could just give you a gift card where, it, like you said, it includes the dust, it includes the token already. So you just go in, sign into your wallet with this uh, code, and you have everything there. So there is a, it is able to do it. It's just not as big a deal, like because there's no, there's no paid development. There's nothing going on where there's a foundation or anything. If you want to do stuff on Counterparty, you kind of got to do it as a hobby and just do it on your own time. Um, I think Ethereum right. has a lot of money to hire developers and intrigue people to come in and there's an ecosystem like you said of gamers development that's real buzzing right now so that side of things really helps on the ethereum side so it's just two different where do you think worlds. uh the layer layer two with bitcoin is headed do you think that i th- um, i think lightning and also like i don't know if you listen to our last aot podcast with christian moss he's like the man when it comes to counterparty lightning segwit combination stuff atomic swaps and uh, he's got some really interesting ideas of how, um, you know, Bitcoin is just a settlement layer and everything. A lot of the gaming. He's more excited for Lightning, not for payments, but for gaming. Um, so I think, it's, I, I, like, I'm excited about that. I'm more of a Bitcoin person, although I am in the, I like Ethereum as well for uh, what's going on with the gaming side of things. I just think, uh, you know, I think everybody should be open to joining whatever platform ends up being the best that's kind of my like everybody should plan on maybe none of this will work in, in two years it'll be another thing. Yeah. <laughs> like because especially when people are putting so much money into a business like you know you don't want to have something fail so you want to have that i think certainly the crypto kitty showed the user experience um even if everything else behind crypto kitties doesn't make any sense to anyone the experience of that little, apparently that little cat was sufficient to get people engaged. And I think the, for me, it's the user experience. The interface has got to be the next, next level. The time, and if you really want people to 
participate, it has to be pleasant. <laughs> it can't be. I think Ethereum has to get rid of the MetaMask wallet. I think that's. I think they they need not get rid of it, but that can't be what the funk that the sole keeping your funds and using it because. Oh, it's I don't know, too it's many Chrome steps. extensions and stuff are just a little bit. Too many steps. I wouldn't want to hold a bunch of money on uh, MetaMask wallet. I was just trying to get a, a free uh, poster. And I had to get MetaMask. I had to get Toshi. It's like, uh, you know, this is a free Yeah, there's a lot poster. of steps. Yeah, for the, for the Rare Art Labs <laughs> yeah. one, you had to get Toshi. Oh, yeah. and, um, Do I really? I don't even know what the, what the but poster we're, is. But we're still early in all this. And, like, so we, we're, this is the thing. When we talk about all this, we're trying to figure out a way to make it easy is for whoever is you know that we're try- everybody has the same everybody who's on this show who's in this space has the same idea that we're trying to get you know adopters yeah you know yeah. show people how this can work show people that this literally is still an experiment phase with the experiment getting stronger and stronger each day like a blockchain you know Anyone? I mean, I'm yep. like we're interested in the in lightning and watching layer two, Bitcoin layer two development. But I think I'm just once we start seeing toolkits come out for developers, game developers, then that's going to turn that tide a little bit. But it seems like the focus right now is building really great payment like DApps for payments. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I guess that's what all the developers are thinking about. I haven't seen a very many layer two like toolkits for creative, you know, cr- creative development to support creative development. There's, um, a, there's a lightning hackathon in Japan coming up um, at the end of this month that uh, I think people will be watching for. It's a lot of, it's, I think it's like a gaming one um, that's using lightning. Oh, cool. So that'll be cool. That'll be cool to see. It'd be nice yeah. if, if the people got together who are developing the standards gave a little cut to the people who are doing the infrastructure. You know, because people not everybody's good at all things, and sure. infrastructure is you know some people that is their they live for that stuff, and other people are in the design. So well, um, our boy James, who's a, a regular on AOTB, in the you know. Friend of AOTB. Yeah, he uh, <laughs> he's all about ERC eight 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 multi dimensional tokens, and you know he he'll tell you seven he he, he hates seven twenty one. And what I, what reason I say that is because even in the Ethereum community, everybody's still kind of debating which like like we talked about earlier in the program. Everybody's still debating on which way to go on uh, so everything can function together. And you can't have everything on chain, like whether it's Bitcoin, Ethereum, yeah, any of these chains that can't handle it. Need, we need a side chain or a second layer or something. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I think we, yeah, I guess I'm a little wary of using Bitcoin for experimentation, like games and things like that, uh, because I feel like anything that's playing with it, like if a user is being asked to spend Bitcoin, they're going to be less likely to do it. Right, I, so um, and that's if, unfortunate if you, too. But because if, you, if for lightning anyway, if you just put your light your money up, your Bitcoin up, um, and you're just having a channel where you can put tokens back and forth between another entity, then I don't think you're necessarily spending it. You're just saying that you have it in case something happens. It's like kind of like signing a contract. So 
Translating everything into dollars, I think, is a little is part of the problem too. Because if you thought you were, you know, Bitcoin was first people were talking about it, it wasn't always equated to a dollar. It was blah blah blah, blah Bitcoin, right? And so it seemed like oh, it's a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of something, and it seemed very very small as opposed to now looks really 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 big. So that that one to one relationship, I think, has been harmful in getting and encouraging people. People want to see have the appearance that they're not spending a lot of money but the minute they start saying oh this is the equivalent of dollars and you're like, ah. yeah well i think what maybe marguerite's saying is like bitcoin is kind of more on the payment side of things and ethereum is more function looking for solutions that aren't necessarily currency right well it's just like yeah it just seems like people are more willing to play and experiment with it and do uh i think i think you'll see that maybe on layer two but what will the so counterparty in the early days ran into a lot of conflict with Bitcoin, right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The developer, and that's what—that's even why Ethereum happened in yeah. the first place. Well, yeah, they, so, they they killed their VM that they were trying to do. Right. So I mean, I I, I think that, and I don't know that Bitcoin people want things like that to exist. On I mean, the attitude around Bitcoin has been pretty hostile to from the those early days that's kind of when i shifted out of then going and playing in other uh, projects that were more open to experimentation except for greg maxwell who's the most hostile towards uh, counterparty there's i think there's been some i know for a fact that a lot of the maximalists they agree that like for instance like a rare pepe thing was a cool thing so they kind of maybe thought that and then they saw the icos happening and all this stuff so they, they see that bitcoin does need some kind of other thing besides being a store of value because you need to use it for something i haven't even heard i don't hear people say that much anymore what the store of value that used to, like this time last year every other conversation <laughs> was about store of value not a store of value if you bought in january that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. yeah i mean so we'll see i'm watching that conversation i just as i'm unsure about experimenting with you know taking all this work and then trying to put it on bitcoin if there aren't people willing to support that sort of infrastructure that they don't want it am i going to have support from the bitcoin community no you know that's the I mean? problem like, exactly and that's exactly it there's no support like in ethereum there's support with bitcoin it's no support and it's hostility as soon as you try to do something i just think we're we're in kind of like an experimental stage to see what happens for the next few years even right yeah i think it's important um for everybody in the entire space honestly not just inside our little niche game uh game blockchain space that we're building that the energy has been so positive to each other generally right that it's been such a great transition to get out of something where everyone's just crapping on each other's projects yeah <laughs> right that, that's, and, and then to move into a space where everybody's like how can i give you a hand um how can we help and that's amazing. And, and how come that attitude, if that attitude, I think, is going to be a little infectious. And people are going to enjoy being a part of that. And hopefully that carries over to some other creative sort of development and experimentation on other projects. And instead of being like um, competitive with it, maybe how can we also tap into that? How could we port out to both chains? Yeah. How could we? Um, because you could, like, for example, I know Loom Network is going to, you're going to be able to port to both Ethereum and Bitcoin. So, yeah, I think I think that that attitude should should help if 
if we can keep it so it doesn't get political, like you said, caught up in standards, caught up in and all that. So, anyways, um, so a lot of it is religions and tribalism and stuff as well. But at the end of the day, if if, if Bitcoin goes to fifteen hundred, like I think you're going to see everybody's attitude change a little bit. Yeah, if Bitcoin goes to fifteen hundred, we're gonna see. I see our, all our listeners are gonna disappear. So Bitcoin is still above fifteen hundred. <laughs> uh, you know, I just, I, you know what I'm saying. I just feel like if Bitcoin, if like even here, everybody's attitude is changing a little bit. Yeah, yeah. If if Ethereum so, goes to fifty dollars, then uh, uh, you know I want to see what's gonna happen as well. But. um we got. We really got to wrap up. Actually, Cynthia's got to get going. She's got to go teach a class. I think at uh, GW. Oh, awesome! So, but it was a fun uh, conversation. Appreciate you uh, talking to us, Marguerite. Yeah, it was very yeah, a lot of fun. For, thanks for talking to, with me, guys. Um, and and I look forward to some of your, your other podcast. Thanks for educating the space about the you know the creative and blockchain because I, I think that not enough people know the cool stuff we can do. Well, that was a great conversation. Yeah, it was. Bernard is uh, very knowledgeable, very fantastic. Everybody go look at neondistrict.io. She has a just well-rounded, not only experience, but knowledge of the tech side, the art side. So that was that was really nice to have that, that kind of uh, expertise. Yeah. I like that they're taking their time with their project and really getting the nuts and bolts before it comes out too like you know been following along so like she said it's been a year they've been working on it I think they said they're gonna I didn't we didn't ask her but I think in the chat I saw quarter four the end of the year they're gonna have some kind of release for testers yeah alpha release or something yeah a lot of games and puzzles out there so get involved at least follow what they're doing because I follow for the art but there are other reasons yeah. Well, um, this is a long episode. You got a lot of work. <laughs> it's all your fault. <laughs> all right. We're going to get out of here now. All right. Bye-bye. Until right. next time. <laughs>